Hello, welcome to the show, Unbossed. So glad to be here with you today after Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. And we are going to get into that. Yes, we are. And I have with me Ben Carrillo. She is the host of Galaxy Brain. Ben, how are you doing on Fridays, right? Yeah, yeah, um, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Good, good. And I'm so glad that you are here. We have a magnificent show and we're glad that all of the people who are joining us, we're glad that you are here too. So cash bail is truly a problem. We'll explain why and Governor, New York Governor Kathy Hochul has landed herself in the neoliberal seat again, a new neoliberal law. And George Santos might not be who he says he is, George who? Oh yeah, we're gonna talk about that as well. And don't forget, please subscribe. If you have not subscribed to Unboss, do that and call a friend or a friend of yours. Send them a text message or a message in a bottle and let them know one of the best hours of their day is happening. They have to subscribe. We need you to share your stream and send some love comments. You know that's my favorite part of the show. MLK holiday in tweets. You know, it really Monday, you know, January 16th, just yesterday, was the 36th year that we as a nation have celebrated the legacy and the life of the one and truly only Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it is because of Mrs. Coretta Scott. King that we even have the King holiday, her tireless work to make this happen. And this did not happen automatically. There were some states and some folks that resisted this, if you can believe that. Yeah, they did. But it is because of her and and many allies that we do celebrate that holiday. Dr. King would have been in his 90s had he still been alive today. And we must continue to push and lift up not just the man and his quotes, but his legacy and Please never forget, as Dr. Bernice King reminds us, never forget Mrs. Coretta Scott King. They were very much partners in this. So per usual, particularly politicians, people, especially with the social media, they're tweeting all kinds of stuff, putting it on the gram, doing all kinds of stuff, quoting the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., knowing good and well they don't know the man nor his legacy. And these politicians, many of them, are the antithesis of what the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was working for, what he was fighting for, what he lived for. And while they have policy making power, they go against the grain of what Dr. King stood for. So it is insulting as hell. And I mean really insulting, especially when you look at the policies that these people have supported or not supported. Marianne Williamson, a 2020 presidential candidate, a thought leader and an author, she put it this way in a piece that she wrote this week. It is not enough to praise him, we should emulate him. We should remember his words that our lives begin to end on the day we become silent about things that matter. He never did and neither should we, but we can't just talk, we've got to act. Amen to Marianne Williamson on that. We can't just talk, we have to act. And we can't just put out tweets or go to black churches for all the politicians that do that and make a mockery of what the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his contemporaries stood for and what they were fighting for. So I want you to take a look at what some folks have said on social media. We're doing MLK Day in tweets. We're gonna start off with my stunt double. 
Dr. King was in Memphis supporting striking sanitation workers. Today, we'll see quotes from politicians, both Democrats and Republicans about honoring Dr. King's legacy. Those same politicians voted just weeks ago to break a rail strike. They should look inward. Yeah, no, they really should do that. Let's put up the other ones. We have Dr. Bernice King. And she is, you know, calling out Senator Blackburn. She probably would have taken all day calling out other politicians. But we see that Senator Blackburn tweeted today. We remember a man committed to the vision that people should be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And I'm so glad that Dr. Bernice King, Senator Blackburn, my father's vision was that we eradicate racism, militarism, and poverty, deconstructing systems that deny equity and access, safety, and opportunity does not equal judging white people for being white. Go ahead, Dr. Bernice King. I invite you to study. Now she dropped the mic on that, the KingCenterInstitute.org. So glad she did that. Let's put up the next one because we doing MLK Day and tweets, baby. This Deborah, she wrote, white people like this quote because they think it refers to colorblindness. He was talking about equality and equity. We have a long way to go to achieve that. And what she quote tweeted over is this, 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 this is all they, too many folks use this one. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. A quote that I quote the left needs to remember. Man, you again, you missing the entire point. And I'm glad that Deborah set you straight. I don't understand for the life of me why white folks in particular love that quote and they do not understand what Dr. King was talking. He indicted this country on his white racism and his anti-black bigotry and how it treated poor people from all walks of life. You just don't get it, brother. But I'm so glad people were not getting away with it this year. Let's put up the next. A tweet, MLK Day in tweets. So, Annie, on to Senator Ted Cruz when he said today, we honor the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You guys know. And she put up this tweet delete your tweet, Ted. Surely delete your tweet. Yeah, you need to go ahead and delete that tweet. And let's put up the next one. We are rolling strong. This one right here, Governor Greg Abbott. Had the pure unadulterated gall to tweet about Dr. King, just like some of the other ones. And then Sawyer Hackett said, you signed a bill last year eliminating the requirement for Texas schools to teach about MLK. I have a dream speech. Yeah, you did that, Governor. We weren't going to let you get away with it. And then from the Poor People's Campaign, King was murdered because he refused to accept a military industrial complex that destroyed lives half a world away. An economic system that was willing to throw away millions of poor and low wage people right here at home. Go ahead on Poor People's Campaign, Reverend Dr. Barber and his contemporaries. He keeping the Poor People's Campaign moving in the 21st century. It's something that Dr. King started in the 20th century. And our next one, my stunt double, Dr. King believed this. You know, Prager U, a right wing group. How would 
MLK View America today? I'm glad they asked that question because I was ready to answer it. That we need to redistribute wealth, pay reparations, cut the military budget, establish a universal income, establish a jobs guarantee, protect and expand labor union, expand labor union protections. He would view it much like he did before he was murdered. Want to make sure that Dr. Bernice King gets the last word on this via tweet anyway, because Ben and I are about to get into this. My father's dream wasn't palpable to the white masses, including politicians. See, Dr. Bernice King is laying this out because it's time out for us to sugarcoat what was happening in the 60s when Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Mrs. Coretta. Scott King, when they and their contemporaries were fighting for this, it's time out for sugarcoating this. So I'm glad she's laying it out for you. He challenged militarism and sought to eradicate it. He worked to end poverty as caused by extreme capitalism and materialism. We need to know the authentic king, the inconvenient king. Let me add to that, the radical king. So Ben, your thoughts on all of the politicians in particular who get the tweeting, but they have power. And I'm talking about politicians who are actively elected right now, Ben, who can use the power of the people to actually change material conditions. And whether they're governors or they're in the Congress or they city council, it don't matter where they are, they elected right now. And then they got the pure unadulterated gall to quote Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. knowing that they're not doing anything to honor what he stood for, what he lived for, and actually what he died for. Yeah, because, and this is so really frustrating because when white supremacists killed Martin Luther King Jr., they rapidly stepped into action to rebirth a completely fictitious Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That when they quote Martin Luther King, they might as well be quoting somebody that never really existed. Because the real Martin Luther King Jr. just is fundamentally different than who they think it is. And it all centers around three things that they try to erase from Martin Luther King Jr. First is that he not only wanted a radical redistribution of wealth, but also power. Recognizing that the institutions of the United States are inherently white supremacists. Second is that if you would have asked Martin Luther King Jr. himself, he himself would say that while he might have been the face of a movement, the real work that was being done was something that was done with an entire community of support. People that put time and effort to make sure that things happen. I mean, just like Rosa Parks, for example, there was a ton of planning with the community that happened well in advance before any of that bus boycott started. They had the infrastructure in place before she refused to give up the seat. And the last part to this too is the whole notion of nonviolence. They, they try to paint it as though it means a commitment to not even defending yourself. When Come the reality on. is organizations like the Deacons for Defense and Justice existed for a reason that they literally faced lynch mobs. And so of course they had organized like community defense organizations. And so they fundamentally want to dismantle any type of community power structure that exists to protect people's existence. And that is why they rewrite the history of Martin Luther King. That is exactly right, Ben. And that's why lifting up the radical King. <laughs> is so vitally important. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is so much bigger than the I have a dream speech. Certainly that was an extraordinary speech, but he gave many extraordinary speeches and he indicted this country righteously. So much so that when a poll was taken, you know, especially when he said the, the Vietnam War was wrong, militarism, you know, um, um, materialism and and you know poverty and racism. Folks turned on them, both in the black community and also in the white community. 
Yeah, his poll, his poll ratings in terms of his favorability was very, very low. Blacks disagreed by about 55% and whites over 70% at that time. So yeah, spare me the politicians lifting up his quotes when they won't lift up his mission. We're gonna continue to talk about this because also please read that article that Marianne Williamson wrote. This is about celebrating and not celebrating, but lifting up the work of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and that entire community, Ben, because you're right, one person can't do it all. It really is about doing that work 365, not just one day. So yeah, I'm hot. I almost took out my fire extinguisher, but I didn't. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about cash bail, shall we? Something that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would not have supported. And we have been advocating on this show, we will continue to advocate the the ending of cash bail. So we pointed to many examples of the practice of cash bail and how it really crushes poor people. That is what it does. So a recent story out of Arkansas, really, really lays it out. Let's look, take a look at this headline and I will read it just in case you're only listening and not looking. Man who couldn't afford bail dies after losing nearly 100 pounds in jail, a lawsuit says. So Larry Eugene Price Jr. was 50 years old, young man, relatively young, a homeless and weighed 185 pounds when he arrived at Sebastian County Jail and had his bail set at $1,000 in August of 2020, according to a complaint filed in federal court on January the 13th. Over the course of a year, Price awaited his day in court and was neglected by jail staff as he lost nearly 100 pounds, resembling a famine victim, the complaint says. On the day of his death, Price weighed 90 pounds with a morbidly skeletal appearance. On August the 20th, 2021, according to the complaint. Now this is the United States of America. This should not be happening anywhere, sisters and brothers, family, friends, but we're talking about the United States of America. So Price's arrest could have been avoided. It could have been avoided had he been provided the proper care that he needed. So on August the 19th, 2020, Price walked into the police station, verbally threatened officers and made gun gestures with his hands, the complaint said. It argues that this behavior was a clear expression of mental illness. So instead of arresting Price, these officers should have helped him get the proper assistance that he needed, especially he was making gestures with his hands and not with a weapon, with his hands. The instinct should have been to get him help, but no, that's not what happened. And so we've seen the horrors of cash bail. This is just one of many examples. And unfortunately, we're gonna continue to have examples. Ben, this, this definitely makes me mad and sad at the same time. Yeah, it's absolutely infuriating because like fundamentally, like, I mean, think about it, okay? There's no protection in place for people to keep their jobs if they're in jail. Right. And so, like, literally, you just not having enough cash one particular day in your life could lead to you losing your job. It could also potentially lead to you losing your kids and things like that. And it's also important to understand that this is part of why so many people take plea bargains in the United States and don't even go through the whole trial process because the entire system is designed to be inherently coercive. That the techniques that police officers are allowed to use in the United States in their interrogation methods are effective 
effectively coercive and torture methods that are used to like force confessions out of people. And the whole reason this all exists is because it turns out that it's an incredibly profitable industry to funnel people into prisons so they can literally either make no wages or dirt wages for giant companies. I mean, I can pretty much guarantee you that in the past month, you've purchased something from a company that has used prison labor, right? It is the one exception to the slavery part of the Constitution in the United States that we have, and it exists for a reason. It's quite literally why people like Richard Nixon created the war on drugs, fundamentally as a pretense to lock up political opponents and to lock up black and brown folks for no reason. But actually there is a reason, and that's profits of giant companies. And that's why cash bail exists, and that's why there's so much of this right wing push for cash bail to stay because fundamentally it is a coercive tactic that is used to push marginalized people into taking plea bargains so that they're forced to work for these giant companies in these prisons. Certainly, and the whole notion, the private prison. So all of this goes hand in hand. They just got a cottage industry going. That's exactly what this is. No prison should be should be private in my opinion and the opinion of many other legal justice experts, because no one should be able to make a profit off of other people's misery. There is a profit motive to keep people coming to prison if it's a private prison. Lindsey Boland put this up, Khalif Broder was held at Rikers without trial in 2010 through 2013 for allegedly stealing a backpack containing valuables. During his imprisonment, Browder was in solitary confinement for 700 days. Two years after his release, Browder hanged himself at 22. We have two different systems and we talk about this. We use this as one of the many examples because it's so it's so shocking and disturbing. You all, everybody should be disturbed about this. Everybody should be, but such examples are just part of a larger picture. Bail settlers regularly give high bail assignments without considering an individual's ability to pay, even though most Americans lack the resources to cover many emergency expenses. In 2017, 57% of Americans could not afford a $500 emergency expense without incurring debt. That stat is coming from the Center for American Progress. And the negative impacts of cash bail are far reaching. It threatens the health of those arrested, their families and their communities. It drains valuable economic resources from families and communities. Disrupts current employment, Ben laid that out, and creates barrier to future employment. Results in family separation and has adverse effects on children. Perpetuates cycles of homelessness and incarceration. Again, Center for American Progress, thank you for that. And with that said, some states have taken the steps forward with bail reforms. There are some people out there who understand that this system is rotten to the core. It is a classist system and it is also a racist system. And though none bigger than Illinois, let's put up this headline. Illinois will become the first state to do away with cash bail. Thank you NPR for laying that out. All right, other states, where you at? On this one, you definitely need to follow Illinois' lead. We have so much work to do when it comes to this cash bail, cash bail itself and the legal justice system overall. It needs an overhaul and we need that to happen right away. Big ups to Illinois, much more work to do and much more show ahead of us. We'll be back after this.
Welcome back to the show, my all-time favorite part, round one. I want you to know though, tonight, yeah, you're in for a treat. The MLK Day, they called him radical, a tribute to King. Tonight, we want you to tune in. They called him radical, a tribute to King. That is tonight on Tuesday, January the 17th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time with none other than Dr. Rashad Ritchie, yours truly. Ricky Smiley and Sharon Reed, you are not going to want to miss this. If you think Ben and I got into this with tweets, baby, tonight, sizzling, okay? Just absolutely sizzling. And then spin the wheel. We want you to spin that wheel. At TYT, we pride ourselves on sharing the most important news stories of the day. We need you to sign up for an annual membership to TYT and spin the wheel for an exciting prize. How? So glad you asked, become an annual TYT member at tyt.com slash spin, spin the wheel. When you get your membership confirmation email, land on a prize and wait for delivery via the mail. It is just that simple and we need you to sign up because we are able to do what we do because of people like you. So please, please, please become a member, give somebody a membership ahead of birthdays and Valentine's Day is coming up. You know, you can get somebody some flowers, some candy, give them a TYT membership ahead of time. Why don't you do that? We would so greatly appreciate it. All right, on to the member comments. Oh, I'm so excited. Mickey, hey, Mickey, baby. Always happy to see Ben, exclamation point. Her laugh brings up all of our moves. Isn't that true? Ben does have the best freaking laugh. <laughs> I love it. And on Twitch, Birdie. The most motivating intro there is. I know that's right. I, I'm so blessed to have that intro. My own walk on music every single day, or at least Monday through Friday. I'm blessed. Thank you for that, Verde. And Overseer Dixon, Overseer Dixon, how are you? Oh, hell yeah! Exclamation point. Hello, ladies. Great duo. I can't get enough of either of you. Keep fighting the good fight. We will, Overseer Dixon, and you as well. And on YouTube, Super Chat. Rock, hey Rock, Nina's fire is a great way to start my day. Oh, thank you Rock so much for that. And reading these comments are a great way to set my afternoon off. Again, we do appreciate you. We cannot thank you enough. Without you, we could not be the independent media source that we are. So we are sending so much love and lifting you up. We are a team. Got a WTF neoliberal moment, New York Governor Kathy Hochul is that white liberal that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Minister Malcolm X warned us about. She has me saying WTF neoliberal. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema, no. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. I pray that you listen to uh, Helen and I pray that you control we need good conservation, Governor. I pray for you. Yeah, that happened on MLK Day just yesterday in 2023. And she was a parishioner. She is a parishioner of the church, the young lady that was escorted out by all those police officer, officers. Governor abusing her power, using police officers in that way, like she running the church. Fire scenes are coming out on this one. So you may recall our reporting regarding 
Governor Kathy Holcomb moving full steam in her lobbying efforts to secure a judgeship for Hector LaSalle. As you can see from the video you just watched, she is taking her advocacy to a whole nother level. Let's put up this tweet. At Governor Holcomb showed up to Sunset Park and not only used MLK legacy, but also Sunset Park community as pawns to push her conservative judge. And the worst part was she brought police with her and kicked out a respected Afro Latina leader who belongs to the church. Now ain't that some sugar? Fill it in, fill in the blank. Really, this governor did this just yesterday. Or I mean on MLK Day. This 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 what this woman did. New York, you had a chance to have a different kind of governor, but you picked this woman. Let's put up with Maurice Mo Mitchell, the national president the Working Families Party had to say about this. This is how you honor MLK's legacy. Ironically, she was removed from a church while at Kathy Hochul was giving her MLK speech. Team, lead that up. Because I need folks to understand that this woman used police officers to remove an Afro-Latino, a black parishioner on Mark, why she giving a Mark Luther King Jr. speech, the irony. Jesus, I mean, I see police officers with their batons beating black folks, marching in the streets during the civil rights movement. I can see the water hoses being used by firefighters. And this chick had the nerve to use police officers in this way and use this community in this way. Mo goes on to say, at Kathy Hoko cannot use MLK's legacy to curry favor while pushing a chief justice that will dishonor the fights he died for. You better say that. See, it's time out. We're not gonna let these people get away with this kind of stuff. Now you need to go back and watch and listen to some of the video, watch video or listen to audio of what the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Minister Malcolm X had to say about white liberals like this governor. Where is her shame? She owes this woman an apology. Like Apology is the least that she can do. Let's put up the next tweet, Lindsey Bowen, Bowen. The violent absurdity of using a community church this way, the violent absurdity of using the police this way, say that like two more times. The violent absurdity of using MLK's name this way, shameful, disturbing, disgusting, you know? Amen to all of that. Lizzie, I couldn't have said it any better than what you said. This woman right here, oh yeah, she gonna, she she is definitely one of the two people that's gonna win the neoliberal hall of fame, the WTF neoliberal hall of fame. She is. Now, Ben, go ahead, jump in, because I got the cooler. I'm I'm pulling out. I'm pulling, I'm pulling her out right now because I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're leaving a fire signature. I love that. I love that. Um no, it's often said that every president since Ronald Reagan has been Ronald Reagan, that we've reached the end of history. And this is really important. The reason why I bring this up is because we really need to understand what Ronald Reagan's presidency was about. More so than anything else, it was about white Americans uniting to make sure that the civil rights movement wouldn't have any material impact on how the world actually works. 
Fundamentally, that's what Ronald Reagan's presidency was about. And the Democratic Party and Republican Party have both fully adopted this mindset of Reaganomics, where while the Democrats will like speak to like different issues, fundamentally, they believe in this white supremacy in the same way that the Republicans do. They just have a little bit more pretense. I mean, look at the January 6th Capitol rioters, right? And look at all of the evidence that there's like police officers that have ties to January 6th, that there's FBI agents that have ties to white supremacist organizations. Look at the fact that the Canada recognized the Proud Boys or no, New Zealand recognized the Proud Boys as a terrorist organization. And yet, like we have Proud Boys running around every single day in the United States unchallenged. And not only that, we have police departments that are protecting Proud Boys from like anybody on the left that's like protesting against them. And so let's paint, put all this stuff together, right? Because one of those actually happened in New York very recently. There were a bunch of right wingers that were, you know, like harassing people who were trying to get abortions. And the people that were there to defend the people that were getting abortions, guess whose side the police were on, right? It was on the side of these right wingers. This is all tied together. Fundamentally, these people are white supremacists. Like, like these Democrats who are willing to literally kick people out of churches like this are white supremacists. They want to use black and brown spaces, right, to gain votes and to gain popularity. But fundamentally, when it comes to the actual execution of power, they have no interest in any type of like collaboration. They have no interest in actually hearing the voices of marginalized people. And it's deeply infuriating. And so the reason why I'm kind of all over the place connecting all these dots is because they are connected. Because fundamentally, the Democratic Party has fully embraced white supremacy. And there are a few people within the Democratic Party that are willing to challenge that. But outside of that, Outside of the few people within the Democratic Party that are willing to challenge this, it's white supremacy all the way down. And that's why she's also willing to push literal anti-abortion judges under her courts. And this is a Democrat, and you're right, Ben. The point being that this 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 cult-like nature within politics right now that both parties both parties have cult-like nature, and if you are part of the cult. If anybody challenges that, then all of a sudden you, you're enemy of the state. You're, you're enemy to them. Calling out the other party is easy. Calling out your own party is the one that is hard. Governor Hoko is out of line. And Ben's point about the adoption of this stuff, because both of these parties are controlled by corporatists who really do not care about poor people. They don't care about black and brown people and other people of color. They just do not care. This this right here is real. And see this woman, let's take people down memory lane really quickly. Cause she has said she gonna remember whether or not somebody votes for this judge or not, as if the legislature has the answer to her. Let us not forget what we learned in elementary school. These three branches of government, they are equal. So the legislative branch does not have to bow down to this governor. But put this up, Governor Kathy Holcomb is personally lobbying key Dems, which is her right to lobby, that's not the problem. Key Dems state senators to back her controversial nomination of Judge Hector LaSalle for top New York jurists, warning at least one she will remember who's with her. In other words, if you don't march to the beat of her drum, she gonna do something to you. Politically, like the woman put it out there. I guess the one good thing about it, let me let me calm myself down. I guess the one good thing about it is that she she said that if you don't, if you're not with me, I, I'm coming for you. At least she said that so that the senators are forewarned that she really put that out there. You gotta go with me or else. 
So liberal lawmakers who claim that he's too conservative and would tilt the state's top court too far to the left. So they're scrambling here because she cannot deal with the pushback that is happening, the checks and balances. This is what is supposed to happen. The legislature should be a check and balance. And then you got community folks saying, hold up, wait a minute, not this dude. Now she can still push for this dude, but they said, no, not this dude. State Senator Jabari Breezeport continues to keep us informed about New York State Senator, informed about what's going on in the New York legislature. We put this up last week, we're gonna put this tweet up from him again. In October, November, Governor Kathleen Holcomb came to our communities to curry black votes, much like she was doing in that church, even though that church was mixed. This week, she's tried to push through bail reform rollbacks, underline it, underscored message in a bottle of Democrats, and just nominated a former prosecutor to our highest court. It's indefensible to ask for black votes. Hello, Senator Jabari, and then work to incarcerate us. No, on the South. You got that right, Senator. And now, and 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 he just tweeted this. 14 Democratic senators have come out against the nomination of LaSalle. He doesn't have the votes in our conference alone. So every time the governor asks for a full Senate vote, she's asking Republicans to help her confirm her judge. Now, the woman has been warned. You know, they, they let her know we ain't feeling this dude. But there she is. And just the total disrespect for the black community. The total disrespect for MLK Day. And the fact, look, I don't know what happened behind the scenes after that church, but I tell you what, if I was a parishioner in that church, I would have walked out too. They wouldn't have been, a, she wouldn't have been able to give a speech that day. Not that day. Cause that's some nerve. As my grandmother would say, more nerve than a brass A monkey for her to do what she did and to abuse her authority and to use police officers in that way. It is disturbing, it is disgusting. And Senator Jabari and and the progressive colleagues, I hope y'all stand strong. And community members, I hope you stand strong. Don't let this governor get away with this. Oh No, she definitely is the queen of the WTF neoliberals for now. Somebody may try to replace her, but for now, she at the very top of the list. As I said, y'all could have had a different governor. His name was Jemani Williams, is Jemani Williams. But New York, y'all went a different way. I'm shaking more than my head on this one. I'm not going to New York no time soon. I got to cool off first. Santos, or is it? Watch this. For the haters. Oh, you gotta be here. Yeah. So my name is Anthony DeVolder. Um, I'm a New York City resident. I recently founded a group called United for Trump. So if you guys want to follow, that would be awesome. My question's directed for both Blair and um, Brandon. Well, Brandon's an idol to all of us. <laughs> this this dude. That's my. New, this is George Santos identifying himself as anti Anthony DeVolder at an LGBTQ plus event in New York. I mean, what is his name? I I don't know. What is the man's name? Now he he's in the he's in the Congress right now. Right now he's right there. But what what is the man name? We don't know. So he's not Jewish. 
And he sometimes goes by an alias. He claimed he was Jewish. Who the heck is he? So George Santos, who claims his full name is George Anthony DeBolder Santos. My name is Nina Lola Falana. I mean, he's just making up stuff. Put, put that back up, y'all. Put this back up. I just came with this dude. Okay. Curiously decided to use his middle two names despite actively running a congressional bid for Tom Susie's Long Island and Queen seat at the time. He lost the 2020 election, but won the seat this year. Unfortunately, Santos, who is under several investigations for his lies, claimed Thursday that he has lived an honest life. Of course, he's going to say that. The only way he'll resign, put up this headline, Line George. Line George Santos corrects corrects vile that he quit if 142 people demanded it. The man is a liar. Santos later told ABC News he meant to say 142,000. I'm so sure. Ben, your thoughts on this quite incredible story? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the, okay, the worst part about George Santos is that he's only slightly more embarrassing than every other elected official that we have in the United States. Like, let's be real. Like, like, cause you put you put George Santos lying about his resume up against like Nancy Pelosi thanking George Floyd for his sacrifice. I mean, it's like, like this is embarrassing. Like, this is the country we live in, and we have the audacity to call ourselves this like super effective democracy when like. Basically, the majority of like American elected officials, there's no process for recalling them, like none whatsoever. Which means, like, when like literally, you couldn't design a system better for corruption than the United States of America. Because once you get into power, it's super easy to keep keep your seat. It costs millions of dollars to run for office in the first place, and like if you can't get recalled, what's to stop you from taking bribes? You know, and so I bet like the Republicans and like. The giant corporations love George Santos because they're like, yes, this is a man who will lie about anything and everything. There's no amount of shame that will ever ever stop him from doing something. Like, honestly, like I don't want to speak this evil into the world, but also it's not unforeseeable that you know 20 years from now George Santos is on the Republican ticket for president. Like, let's be real. Oh, Ben, perish the thought, but you're absolutely right. And I love how you just laid it out. He's only slightly worse than so many of the politicians that are there in that Congress. Not all, but far too many of them. And this is why he gets he can get away with this. He may actually get away with this. You know, my stunt double put out that all of the all of the folks that lied to get in office need to resign. It would be an exodus. Okay. They probably wouldn't even have enough members in Congress in either chamber for a quorum if that actually happened. So, you know, but it's not just us that are questioning George Santos. Watch this. About his resume or not, but I always had a few questions about it. What about the you did the campaign pretending to be your chief of staff in his take? You know, I didn't know about that. It happened, and I know um, they corrected, but I was not notified about that till uh, a later date. Our speaker Kevin McCarthy saying he has some questions too. We all got questions. Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who has not taken a strong stance against Santos, said on January the 11th that he will not force Santos 
out and we'll let the voters decide what to do with the New York congressman. The voters won't get to vote again on Santos seat until 2024. So of course, conveniently, he won't let the voters decide. For Speaker McCarthy, this is all about votes. And he don't he doesn't want to anger this man since he gonna be there. He don't want to anger him by saying, dude, you need to go. You need to go hit the road, Jack, and don't come back no more, no more, no more. No, because he can't do that. Because then he would have to tell a whole bunch of other folks to hit the road, Jack, and don't come back no more, no more for the level of line and deception that these folks do to get these offices. Put up this headline team, George Santos campaign pays staffer nearly $100,000 to pretend to be Kevin McCarthy's chief of staff and get money from donors. Is that corruption that Ben was talking about is all, I mean, it is uniquely set up for this kind of foolishness and mayhem. Prosecutors in Long Island have opened an investigation into Santos. But who is really at fault here? Who let this guy, who let this dude, y'all know that's my new word. Cause I really wanna call these folks something else. Who let this, but it's a family show. Who let this dude slip through? Well, let's put up this headline. The George Santos story is an indictment of New York Democrats. Let's bold it, underline it, put it in a message in a bottle, baby. The incoming Republican representative won a district that easily went to Joe Biden in 2020. And now weeks after the election, a new report reveals that he seems to have made up the bulk of his resume. New York, how could y'all let this happen? New York, y'all got too much going on between your governor and, and Santos. We, we can't take much more, we just cannot. Let's, let's put up this picture, worth it. Yeah, Sean Patrick Mahoney. This, 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 this is exactly how this happened. Ben, your thoughts, final thoughts yeah, on this. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, I mean, there was a local news like outlet that reported on this beforehand. And it just speaks to the fact that, like, look, the Democrats don't want to win. The line we always hear from the Democratic Party, whenever Republicans win, it's that elections have consequences. And whenever Democrats win, it's always excuses about why elections don't have consequences actually. And this is just another perfect iteration of Democrats not doing their homework because they really didn't want to win in the first place. There it is, they did not really want to win in the first place. New York, we're gonna pray for y'all. Bless your little heart, New York, Lord have mercy. We'll be back after this. We are back, round two. Now, do not forget, we got a MLK holiday special tonight. You don't want to miss it. They called him Radical, a tribute to King. That is tonight, 8 p.m. ET, 5 p.m. PT, with none other than Dr. Rashad Ritchie, yours truly, Ricky Smiley, and Sharon Reed. Go to tyt.com slash live, baby. You want, you, you want to be there, be in the place, well, in your place. <laughs> turn, turn, turn us on. All right, and coming up after this deep dive with Jordan Yule. Come on, like we got to support Jordan. He does that thing, and that is 5 p.m. ET or 2 p.m. PT on Twitch.tv/tyt. All right, there it is. Two great shows this evening, this late afternoon into the evening. And now on to my absolute favorite part. This this gets me. This settles me. TYT members, Mountain Dragon. Hey, Mountain Dragon. Hey, Senator Turner. 
had to take some time off from the news. I understand that. Just been a bit too tough this year so far. So glad to see you and those glasses are fire. Much love from Colorado to you and the wonderful Ben. Thank you, Mountain Dragon. And we are sending that love right back to you. And we do understand you don't want to be inundated. You want to be informed, but you don't want to be inundated. We got it. We're glad you come here though when you're ready. And Twitch, Lodane, Nina and Ben always win. Oh, that's a rhyme. Nina and Ben always win. I know that's right. Thank you, baby. We appreciate that. And on YouTube, Super Chat, Pillow. Hey, Pillow. Nina and Benny, amazing way to end a long day at work. Well, thank you, Pillow. And thanks to each and every one of you who commented today. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for your support. We appreciate you. I gotta say that we can't say it enough how much we appreciate you because we would not be able to do what we do without you, boo. We love you. Yes, we do. Election denial violence. Yeah, this is still happening in this country. Still a mess over the 2020 elections. We got all this residual still reverberating from the 2020 election cycle. This tweet comes from New Mexico Albuquerque police on Monday. Let's put up the tweet. APD has arrested Solomon Pena for the recent shootings at local lawmakers homes. Pena, an unsuccessful legislative candidate in 2022 election is accused of conspiring with and paying four other men to shoot at the homes of two county commissioners and two state legislators. And you know what, this really is a damn shame. I mean, really, I, mean, I know you wanted to win, but yeah, you're going too damn far. Let's put this up, Solomon Pena. 2022, this is it, this is him. Republican candidate for New Mexico House District 14. This is him, the one that was arrested for going too far. Not just going too far, breaking the law. So what exactly did he do? So glad you asked, we want you to know that. Pena, who lost his November race by an overwhelming margin of 26% to 24% is suspected of orchestrating the four shootings that began in early December. Local authorities accused Pena of hiring four men to help carry out the attacks and Pena himself pulled the trigger in one of the shootings. Pena has made repeated claims that the election was rigged. Uh, he attended the January 6th. I mean, this stuff is, is going hand in hand. He, he attended that. And the Democratic lawmakers who he targeted were, there you go, Brillanello County Commissioner Adriana Barboa, State House Speaker Javier Martinez. Commissioner Debbie O'Malley and Senator Linda Lopez. Thank you, Jake from Common Dreams for this reporting. Now, no one was injured in the attacks, thank God. But as the Associated Press reported, these bullets passed through the bedroom of the state senator's 10-year-old daughter. This is really bad, Ben. Yeah. Um it's really heartbreaking. And like the unfortunate reality is, is that this actually happens a lot more than most people realize. As somebody that's worked in democratic politics in like pretty rural areas of Minnesota, 
I've actually heard like plenty of stories over the like of things that have happened over like the past 10 years basically where people have had like their houses shot at or stuff and usually there's usually nothing comes of it you know because usually like the local police department you know you got like basically 10 guys who are all voting for Republicans anyway they say ah oh, well we can't really track them down there's nothing we can really do and obviously like the local press is like I don't know we just are stenographers for what the police say so you know like maybe somebody just randomly shot at your house for no reason and like that's kind of the treatment that people get all over the place especially in areas where democrats just don't have a chance of winning right um and so it's good that this instance is actually like potentially facing some justice but this is actually has been a problem literally throughout the entire history of the united states the political right in the united states has always been incredibly violent. Political violence is probably one of the most consistent factors that exists in American politics. Because we have to remember, I mean, quite literally, I forget what exact state it was. I think it was South Carolina or North Carolina that had a majority black legislature until a bunch of white terrorists literally like killed people, stuffed ballots, and like just like <laughs> literally, literally, like, and so it's, like fundamentally, this has just been going on. This has been going on throughout the entire history of the United States of America. It's just that often it just gets pushed under the radar because once again, the interests of giant corporations very often align with the interests of these white supremacists, with the interests of the political right. And so they get away with doing a lot of political violence. I mean, just once again, look at January 6th, right? In other countries like Brazil, when they have their own version of January 6th, they're not even allowed to leave the scene. They get rounded up and arrested right on the spot. But in the United States, somehow the majority of those people were able to go home to their families. And I think maybe like a dozen people were arrested that day. And so it's just like that is the extreme nature of politics inside the United States. And so it's good to see justice in this instance. But this is something that I wish people had more eyes on more consistently throughout the entire country. Yeah, of course. And please, they did confirm that this is definitely politically motivated. So hopefully justice will be served and just so unfortunate that that happened. And then it's just especially, you know, with a child, but you don't even want adults having to go through this. And it's just that especially, you know, having her 10 year old daughter that, that could have been struck by a bullet. This is absolutely shameful. And I remember also been, you know, during the 2016 presidential campaign, I mean, people shot at our Nevada campaign headquarters for Senator Bernie Sanders. So you're absolutely right. This happens so often in politics. It is unacceptable. All right, folks. Now we need to look at ourselves in the mirror on this. Now we're going to a good news story. Yes, we got this. We're gonna do this. We got an update on the Buffalo Blizzard Hero. 39 people died in Buffalo region during recent winter storms, but through that tragedy, there were heroes. Remember this? When you need help, stranded, freezing, out of gas. You want Jay Whitley. When Jay got stuck in the blizzard trying to help a friend near Buffalo, he wound up with two strangers. Running low on fuel, turned away, and one door after another, he broke in to this school. With his companion safely inside, Jay went back into the storm. Would have been enough to save two people. Why do you go back out there? Just that's the name of the game. You know, you gotta. You gotta help the next person in line. In all, Jay says his army rescued 23 people from the snow. That's the name of the game, Jay said. You gotta, you gotta help. You gotta rescue the next person. So Jay's heroic actions have been recognized by the Buffalo Bills. Take a look. Just surprise you today. 
with you two tickets. Two tickets to the Super Bowl. Oh we love you. We know what you did on Christmas Eve was very heroic, and you're our hero. And the Bills and Highmark want to present you with these tickets to go watch the Super Bowl. We just want to say thank you for all you did, and we love you. Buffalo loves you, buddy. You're a hero to us and everyone else. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Jay is indeed a hero and good on the Buffalo Bills. No matter who's going to the Super Bowl, Jay will absolutely be there. He deserves that and so much more for him really literally putting his life on the line too to save other people's lives in such an immense time of crisis should be lifted and celebrated on a regular basis. So beyond the gifting of the Super Bowl tickets, Jay's actions are a reminder that helping each other no matter the circumstances does absolutely matter. And the amazing news is that Jay's helpful ways seem to be contagious. This is a good thing, we want this to be contagious during the storm people went out of their way to help others and find shelter. A Buffalo couple helped shelter 130 strangers inside a church while a mother and her children were forced to have a sleepover inside a Target when they were trapped inside during the blizzard. Well, what better place to have a sleepover been than at a Target? Uh, Some final thoughts about this hero and how what he did is infectious. Yeah, I mean, this right here is like one of the things you'll hear a lot of organizers say is that we keep us safe, right? And that really is that like the community is our first line of defense. That's the most important tool that we have is being active members of the community where we're just reaching out and helping each other, right? Very, very simple, small acts of kindness, while at an individual level may seem small. But when everybody is participating them, when we truly have a culture of helping each other, um, whether that's like keeping people safe in a snowstorm or even just like helping your neighbor like clean their apartment or cook food or buy groceries or whatever, um, it has this cascading effect. It has this cascading effect in the world because like sure we have institutions uh, that are theoretically supposed to help us. But like ultimately the first line of defense that we have is the community. And this is a perfect case of that. Yeah, it is. Jay Whitley, the Buffalo Blizzard hero. Thank you so very much for what you did. And just so happy you're getting to go to the Super Bowl. And we definitely hope more goodness comes your way. You certainly have sown, you have sowed some tremendous seeds. Well, that's our show for today. It was so great to join you, to be here with you. We had our ups and our downs on this show. So glad we had our opportunity to end on a positive note. I'm gonna keep it that way. You know what I want you to do about this time? I want you to keep the faith and I especially want you to keep the fight. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.